0: So much you notice the theme is the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a verse in Hebrews, 9:22, uh, I believe it is. It says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins." John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." The Old Testament sacrifices looked ahead to the time when Jesus Christ would die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So that if we believe in him, then we can have everlasting life. Have you ever had a scenario where you, there was something that you were excited about doing and so it was not hard at all to motivate you to get ready? I remember when I was a kid. I, I, I don't remember what kind of hunting it was. Might have been duck hunting, might have been quail hunting. But I, I remember that we were going hunting. And I remember getting up at about 4 o'clock getting all ready. In fact, I think I even put my vest on and had my shells and so on in there. And then I I sat in the recliner just waiting for dad to get up and take me hunting. I was excited about getting ready. I I would imagine that, that we've had that situation before. You can identify with that. When we're motivated, then it is a lot easier to get ready. I think that that such is the the case for us as individuals and as a church when it comes to living for God. Colossians chapter 3 says that we need to to seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. To set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. As we think about heaven, as we think about going to heaven, we need to make sure that we're ready to go to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ as Savior but also that we are ready to live for him. Take your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Men's prayer time this morning, the, the men have a devotional, and the devotional had to do with change. Most of us don't like change. We like doing things the same way we've always done them. Unless we initiate the change, then it's okay. Uh, but the, the conversation had to do with the fact that we do need to change. We do need to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites and Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, needed to change. Beginning at verse number 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The children of Israel were on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Moses had died. Many were discouraged. Joshua was probably a little bit discouraged. I know that because three times in Joshua chapter 1, God speaks to him. In verse number 7, only be strong and very courageous. Well, verse number 6, be strong and of good courage. 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse number 9, be strong and of good courage. He was a little bit discouraged. He, he was a little bit intimidated by the task which he had in front of him. But God was able to move them from the wrong side of the Jordan to the right side of the Jordan to Canaan as, as they trusted God and as they obeyed him. The good news is that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And point number one is God's purpose. God's purpose is to move us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Wouldn't you agree with that? That God wants to move us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Therefore, we need to ask some questions. Number one, where am I? And, and, and sometimes that's a hard question to answer because we're, we're lost. It's and, and interesting how that happens sometimes. I, I remember back before GPS, my daughter Rebecca used to call me. She had gone off to college. She was traveling around a little bit. And she would call me and she would say, I'm lost. What do I do? Where do I go? Well, I didn't know where she was. Uh, Normally, she was able to give me a description. And because I was fairly well-traveled in South Carolina, I was able to say, I think this is what you need to do. And I gave her directions. But the first question we need to ask is, where am I? Uh, I think it was dad. No, Mary Elizabeth was meeting someone uh, at, at, a, at a restaurant. And, um, and she, basically, she gave me the, the pin of where she was. This is sort of scary from my perspective. She gave me the pin of where she was. And I went to dad and, and, and I pulled it up and put the photo and, and everything. And, and, and I showed it to dad. And then I, I called Mary Elizabeth and I said, now, are you in the second parking space or the third parking space from the thing? Because I could tell from from the pen, from the GPS, exactly where she was. Did you know that GPS can do that to you? It's a little bit uh, scary. Uh, but, but the amazing thing is this, that sometimes we don't know where we are. We need to ask ourselves the question, where are we? Uh, do I know Jesus Christ as Savior? Am I living for God? Am I being what God wants me to be and doing what God wants me to do? Second question is, where does God want me to be? And, and that's a very good question, but there's a good answer right in this book. God shows us. He tells us exactly where he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. The, the third question is, how do I get from where I am to where God wants me to be? And again, the Bible gives us that information. The final question is, what is the next step? Because sometimes we feel overwhelmed. We feel, man, I just got so many things to do and so far to go. I, I just can't handle it. I'm overwhelmed. Well, when, when you're I think that the statement is if you're going to eat an element, how how do you do that? You, You eat it one bite at a time. You take one step at a time. And the question is, what is the next step? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, the next step is to say yes to Jesus Christ, to recognize your sin and rely that because he died on the cross, if we believe, we have everlasting life. The next step might be if we're a Christian to just rededicate our lives to the Lord and say, God, I want to live for you 100%. Uh, it, it might be that the next step for you is to decide that you're going to start serving, that you are going to seek to, to make a difference in the lives of those around you. So the question is, what is the next step? We need to think about our purpose as individuals and as a church. Think about our purpose as an individual, first of all. Romans eight twenty eight is a familiar verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. We believe that God uses things to work together for our good. But then it goes on to say this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are totally like the Lord Jesus Christ? You're just totally Christ-like. You never do anything wrong because he never sinned. You are always mature. You never get mad. You never have any problems. Anybody in here fit that category? Theologically, I know that none of you do because God's word is clear that all of us have sinned, but God's word is clear that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. But each and every one of us have the purpose of becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ as individuals. How about as a church? Aren't we supposed to become more mature as well? Ephesians 4 talks about that. Uh, the, the fact that, that uh, pastors and teachers are to equip saints to do the work of the ministry. So that the body of Christ can be built up. So that we can become more mature. Uh, there's a portion of scripture that also indicates this. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. It's the portion of scripture that talks about marriage. Marriage. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse number 25, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. It's a comparison between husband and wife and Christ and the church. And it indicates that Christ is wanting the church to become more and more mature, to become more and more spotless, to be, to use a song I heard not too long ago, to be clean. Not on the basis of ourselves, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can become more like the Lord Jesus Christ as a church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And we need to depend on God to help us as a church, to be what he wants us to be, and to do what he wants us to do. So we think about God's purpose, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, the fact uh, that, that we might be on the wrong side of the Jordan River. We need to be moving in the right direction. We need to, to, be, to be headed where God wants us to head, even if we think we might have some excuses like Moses being dead or something of that nature. God's purpose. God's purpose as individuals, as a church, to move toward being what God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. Now, it all comes back to relationship transformation and impact. I've talked about that a lot down through the years. But think about it. Relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that the key? God working in our hearts and lives. When, when he does, he transforms us so that we can be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're more like Jesus Christ, We're going to make more of an impact in the world around us. Number one, God's purpose. Number two, God's promise. In verses two through six of Joshua chapter one, uh, God just makes all kinds of promises to Joshua. He talks about giving them the, the land of Canaan. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. And then he gives a description Basically, God is promising Joshua that he is going to be victorious as he leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Does God promise victory to us? He does. Now, there's a condition. There's a verse in 1 John, 1 John 5, 4, that says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our, what's the next word? Our faith. As we trust God, and depend on him to fulfill his promises, he gives us victory. He helps us to move in the direction that he wants us to move, as individuals and as a church. His promise for us is victory. But he's got a prescription, and that's point number three. God's prescription in verses 7 through 9. As we look at that portion of scripture, it talks about being strong and very courageous. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Don't turn away from observing the law. He's talking about obedience. He's talking about total obedience. Not turning to the right hand or to the left. He wants us to be obedient. It goes on to say in verse number eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Again, prosperity and success come from obedience to the word of God. And then it says, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That has to do with trusting God. And I think there there are three points that we've talked about recently that I think can be reinforced uh, because they're so important. The first one is humility. Think about it for just a little while. Joshua and the children of Israel were on the wrong side of the Jordan River. God says, you need to get up and and go on to the other side of the Jordan River. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. Well, Joshua needed to recognize That it was not going to happen because of his wisdom. It was not going to happen because of his strength. It was not going to happen because of his creativity. But instead it was going to happen because God was going to work. There needs to be humility before we trust God. And unless we have humility, then in all probability we're not going to accomplish very much. We're not going to change very much unless we have humility. Think about it for just a minute. If, if we don't have humility, where's the motivation to change? Reminds me of Fonzie. Y'all remember Fonzie? Shows that I'm relatively old. Happy days. He, I, I just remember one scene. He walked into a room. He took his comb. He got it ready to brush his hair, or cut it, uh, comb his hair. He looked at it a minute. He decided, I don't need, I don't need to make any changes whatsoever. I look good. Is basically what he was communicating. If we don't have humility, we're not going to recognize that we need to change. But the reality is, we already took a vote. None of you are totally like Jesus Christ. The reality is that all of us need to change. The reality is that we as individuals, we as families, we as a church, we as a nation for that matter, we need to change. And humility is the first step. Humility is talked about in James chapter 4. Let me just read two verses to you. God gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse number 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God gives us grace when we are humble. The implication is that when we're not humble, God does not show us grace. He resists us. And if God is resisting us, then we're in significant trouble. I've told this story before. When I was in college, I played one year of football. I decided to just focus on baseball after I hurt my leg. and was on crutches for for five or six weeks, and I was on the fifth floor, and there was not an elevator that could be used. And I just thought to myself, you know, baseball is a lot funner than football. And so I I, I just played one year of of football. But when I was playing that one year of football, I, I played Uh, different positions I played linebacker on defense some I played running back on on offense some but for a little while he put me down as a as a guard and and the problem was at that time I was probably 180 185 pounds or something like that and the guy across from me was probably 310 pounds It was not fun. I could knock him down every single time. I just couldn't move him out. All you got to do is knock him down and go lower than them and hit him in the legs. But as far as moving him out, that was difficult. Carrying 300 and something pounds is, is not an easy thing to do. I would much rather go against that 300 and something pound guy. You know, for that matter, the way I got hurt is I was playing running back and this 300 and something pound guy about one or two seconds after the whistle hit me. And, and hurt my knee. So I didn't like him very No, I didn't. didn't my, he, was, he was a friend. But I would much rather go against him than go against God. Wouldn't you agree with that? We need to recognize the importance of humility. Recognizing that we are not what we need to be. And, and, and if we're not humble, God's going to resist us. He's not going to lift us up. So humility is number one. Jesus said this. Without me, you can do nothing. Should not that cause us to be humble when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing? Of course, humility should lead to faith. We recognize we can't do it. If it's going to get done, God's going to have to do it in us and through us. And that's what Joshua chapter 1 is all about. In fact, that's what Joshua is all about. Depending on God for victory. Trusting God to give victory in the midst of a challenging time. Again, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I need to come to God and I basically need to say, God, I can't handle it. I'm not able, but you are able to do far above all that I can ask or think. Number one, humility. Number two, faith. Number three is diligence. Diligence has to do with working hard. It has to do with getting serious about it, something and, and getting it done. If we're not diligent, in, in all probability, we're not going to get a whole lot done. Let's say that, that our, our grass needs cutting. And um, let's say that we're sitting on the couch and we're thinking to ourselves, you know, I, I'm, I can't do too well by myself. That's humility. But God can help me to get this done. If we keep on sitting on that, gra- on that couch, are we going to get it done? No, we need to get up and, and get working. We need to be diligent. It's important for us to recognize that we, we should be working hard. Now, I, I believe that sometimes we, some of us work too hard. Uh, there, there, there needs to be a, a balance. And I think that one of our goals during this course of this next year is to move toward 20% of the church doing 80% of the work to more of us being involved in ministry so the ones that are working all the time don't wear themselves out. Does that make sense? But the problem is not that most of us are too diligent. The problem is that most of us are not diligent enough. And we need to be diligent. Joshua chapter 1 verse number 8. Look at it again. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Number one is to meditate. Meditate in it day and night. Is that challenging? Yes, it is. Because we have plenty of distractions. And and many of us, we have an aversion to studying. We remember when we went to school. And when we went to school, studying was a bad word. It was not fun. I didn't mind school. I really enjoyed lunch and recess. But many of us, we look back and, and, and we, didn't, uh, we didn't like studying. In fact, one time I told one of my teachers, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, I think it's 12, 12, much study is a weariness of the flesh. And her response was, okay, we're not going to give you any homework today. I thought to myself, this is really good. She, she forgot about it the next day and she started giving us homework again. But the reality is that we need to diligently meditate on the Word of God. Now meditation is just basically thinking deeply about something. Sometimes that's hard to do to think deeply about something because our mind is going in so many directions. But to take 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes and just really look at God's Word and think about what it says, it can make a big difference in our lives. Uh, We need to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Number two, we need to obey. Look at Joshua one eight: "You shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it." Why do we meditate? Not just so we can be smarter, but so that we can be more obedient, so we can do what God wants us to do. And then the last thing is, is P: prosper. Actually, the prosperity comes as a result of meditating and obeying. But I like the I like the to do alliteration, anacrostics, and M-O-P stands for meditate, obey, prosper. You can see the three words, the three letters in red. I did have any of you saw that word mop in there. Okay, good, a lot of you, mainly the ones that were sitting up front. I don't understand that, but we, we need to meditate, obey, and when we do, God's going to help us to prosper. Just for a minute, think about this. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then James 2.20 says, Faith without works is dead. So the the logical thought is this. As we meditate on God's word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then we're going to grow in faith. And when we grow in faith, then we are going to grow in the area of obedience. So we meditate, obey, and prosper. God's prescription for us is humility, faith, and faith and diligence. He wants us to spend time in his word, to do what his word says, and then he will bless us. Those are some general principles. They definitely apply to each and every one of us. But as we look at verses 10 through 18, you thought I was almost through, didn't you? As we look at verses 10 through 18, we see Israel's preparation. You know, it's, it's not enough for God to speak and God to work. We need to participate as well. God wants us to get off the couch, so to speak, and to do His will. And in these verses, there were three things that the children of Israel were encouraged to do. Number one, they needed to have a resolve to get ready. Look at verses 10 and 11, Joshua chapter 1. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Prepare provisions for yourselves. In other words, get ready to go. And I think we need to, to engage in preparation. We need to get ready. We're starting a new church year in several days, September 1. And during the, the new church year, my, my desire my goal my hope my prayer is that God is going to work in our hearts and in our lives in a special way as individuals and as a church that God's going to help us to grow to be more what he wants us to be and to help us to do what he wants us to do and we're going to do it in various ways through worship through small groups uh, through service but God wants to work in our hearts and lives we though need to get ready we need to prepare There's an urgency here. Uh, Joshua said to the children of Israel, hey, we're taking off within three days. You need to be ready. There's an urgency in in regard to us as well. How many of you think Jesus Christ is coming back soon? Raise your hand. Now, we don't know when he's coming back. Probably the early church thought he was coming back soon as well. So it could be another 2,000 years, but it could be 10 minutes from now. As we look at the signs of the time, as we look at circumstances, it seems like it's getting pretty close. Again, we don't know, but would it be a smart idea to get ready and and to serve God? I went to Wheaton College a long time ago. It's hard to think about how long ago I went to college, but while I was there, there was a guy named Billy Graham that spoke. Some of you might have heard of him. He and I went to school at Wheaton. He was before me. But he spoke at at, at Wheaton College, and, and, and what he basically said was, time is short. Time is short. I remember, I don't remember too many of the chapel services, but I remember that one. And he talked about the fact that if he had two years before Jesus Christ came back, he would spend half of it in preparation and then the other half in service. I don't think he was trying to communicate to, to the people there that you don't need to do anything for the next year and then you start serving after you've, you've gone to school and so on. I think he was encouraging people at the college to do a good job of preparing, studying God's Word and learning about ministry and so on like that. But the reality is this. Time is short. We don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back and we need to be living as if he is coming back very soon. Resolve to get ready. Because there is an urgency. Number two is responsibility for one another. Look at verses 12 through 15. The Reubenites, To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan... But you shall pass before your brethren, armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. These tribes basically had desired to to be on the... the, um, I think it's the east side of the Jordan River. They had a desire to stay there because they had a lot of cattle and there's good land and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they wanted to stay there. And Moses said, okay, you want to do that? That's fine. But you need to make sure that you cross the Jordan with us. You're armed men and they fight with us until we have victory. And Joshua was telling them, hey, you have a responsibility for one another. You have a responsibility to fight for one another. You have a responsibility to serve one another. Do we have the same responsibility today? Uh, if you have a, one of those fancy Bibles on your phone or on your computer. You can, you can look up the term one another. And you will see a lot of one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Uh, and so on and so on. Because Christianity is not a Lone Ranger thing. Instead it's a relationship thing. I think that sometimes we, we arrive, so to speak. Now, none of us feel like we've totally arrived because we're not totally like Jesus Christ, but we feel like we're doing fairly well and, and then there are others over there not doing as well and we think, well, I'm sure sorry about that, but, but I'm enjoying myself over here. And I'm, I'm comfortable. On Wednesday night, we talked about our comfort zone. And the fact is that sometimes we need to leave our comfort zone to help others out, So they can become what God wants them to be. And so they can do what God wants them to do. Does that make sense? It's not just a matter of us uh, realizing the the promised land. It's a matter of us helping others realize the promised land as well. This is all about an, an outward focus rather than an inward focus. When it comes to a church, we should not just be thinking about ourselves. We should be thinking of others in the church. When it comes to the church, we should not just be thinking of the church. We should be thinking about those outside the four walls of the church. Those who need Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We have a responsibility for one another. So as we're talking about Israel's preparation, number one was the resolve to get ready. We're leaving within three days. Number two, the responsibility for one another. You need to make sure you come along And you fight for the children of Israel in the promised land. Number three, verses 16 through 18, is a responsibility, excuse me, a receptivity to leadership. Notice verses 16 through 18 of Joshua 1. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as He was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. And we recognize that Old Testament, New Testament is, is a little bit different. We don't do everything in the Old Testament. And here at Catawba Baptist Church, if you if you don't do what I say, we do not put you to death. I just want. You to know that if you're watching this online, do not worry. If you come in and, and, and you're, you're not obedient, we're not going to kill you. Uh, the, the, um, the reality, though, is that there's a principle in the New Testament as well that we need to be receptive to the leadership that God has placed in our midst. Now, that puts great responsibility on the leader. As a pastor, I need to make sure that I am walking with God. I need to make sure that I am studying his word, that I'm abiding in Christ, that I have wisdom from above, which is pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Uh, there's a great responsibility. But as you look at Joshua chapter 1, you notice that he says to to Moses, to Moses Joshua, Moses is dead you need to get up and you need to lead the children of Israel. And they, in turn, were receptive to the leadership of Joshua, just as they were to the leadership of Moses. Now, I thought to myself, they weren't very receptive to the leadership of Moses. But the reality is that their parents weren't. Uh, There there were no adult, adult men over 20 years old when they left Egypt that made it into the promised land except for two. And it wasn't Moses and Aaron. Who was it? One starts with a J. Joshua and the other one starts with a C. Caleb. They were obedient to the Lord and they made it the promised land. These younger people, I think they listened to what Moses had to say more readily than their parents did. I think we can, we can learn from this. I, I think we can learn that God wants us to be receptive to the leadership he places in our midst. He wants us to be receptive to the authorities that he has placed us under. And and that leads to to victory, certainly did in this situation. What's the New Testament principle? Well, there are are several different portions of scripture, but I'm going to read a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number seven and 17. Hebrews 13, seven. Remember those who rule over you Who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So number one, you remember those who have the rule over you. Those who have been preaching need to follow their example. Then verse number 17 says this. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Now my tendency, my, my, my normal natural tendency would not be to bring that up in a sermon. Because I, I don't want to be acting like I'm pushy and stuff like that. But I do have a responsibility of preaching God's word. And when you look at Joshua chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, there are other portions of scripture as well. There's an indication that you need to be, that you need to be receptive to the leadership of those that God has placed in your midst uh, that, that are, are seeking to preach the word and so on. Now, I, I need to quickly say if I ask you to do something unbiblical, then you should not do it. Because you ought to obey God rather than man. If I say, okay, um, what we're going to do is after the service, we're going to go down to Founders Bank, where's Joe McIsaac, um, we're going to go down to, found, he, he's, he's a branch manager at Founders, and we are going to rob the bank. If I say that, I hope that you say, no, we should not do that because it's clear in God's word we should not steal. So I need to make sure that I'm preaching God's word and leading biblically, but the responsibility of the people is to be receptive to the leadership that God has placed in their midst. I believe that what happens when we follow these principles, when we resolve to get ready, recognizing the urgency, when we, when we take responsibility for one another, uh, when we are receptive to leadership, I believe that God works in a very special way. I, Joshua chapter 1 is, is a great chapter. God's purpose for us is to move in the direction that he wants us to move, to be what he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do as individuals, as a church. His promise is victory as we trust in him. His prescription is humility, faith, and diligence. As we meditate, as we obey, God will enable us to prosper. And then Israel's preparation. They resolved to get ready. They were responsible for one another and receptive to leadership. And what happened? This tribe of people, the Israelites, came across the Jordan River and they were able to conquer the vast majority of Canaan. God worked in a special way. And don't you think that God can still do that? Is God limited? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? He can help us as individuals to change and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He can help us as a church to mature and become more like Christ and to make a difference in the world around us. But we need to be ready and we need to be willing. Just like when I was a little kid, I was ready to go hunting and I got up and got, got everything ready. So we, as individuals and as a church, we need to say, Lord, I want you to work in a great and mighty way. And I'm ready to play a part. Whatever that means, I Am ready, And then we get ready. Ready for heaven? If you've not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, God's word indicates that you spend eternity apart from him. Uh, we need to be ready for heaven. But we also need to be ready to focus on our relationship with him so that he can change us and so that he can use us for his honor and for his glory. Down at the bottom of the screen it says, am I ready? That's the question I want you to ask yourself as an individual Am I ready to be what God wants me to be and to do what God wants me to do? We're talking about individuals right now because it starts with us as individuals. But then the next slide talks about the fact that we need to also be ready as a church to to be what God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. I guess the question is, are you ready? Are we ready? For God to work in a similar way as he did in Joshua. Making a significant difference. Leading to victory. Are we ready for God to work in and through us. For his honor and for his glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will be ready. That we'll look into your word and we'll determine by your grace. That we are going to humbly trust you and obey you. And expect you to do great and mighty things which we cannot even imagine. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.